Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Today we check in with Fidelity Director of Global Macro, Urian Timmer, as he discusses what a strong earnings season could mean for bull market optimists and touches on next week's Fed announcement. Urian explains to host Pamela Ritchie that last week's Consumer Price Index report was very bullish, with CPI rising in the U.S. at a rate of only 3%. If the market declares victory too soon, he says, financial conditions will loosen and investors may see a continuation of the Fed's hawkish rhetoric. Since the market is pricing in an eventual pivot back to 3.5% neutral rate, he says that the Fed will remain restrictive longer than expected. Pamela also asks, based on the variables discussed, can we call this a bull market? Urian says it's never really known in real time, but by the time we know, it's too late to do anything. Historically, when a bear market rally retraces more than roughly half of the preceding decline, it is a new bull market, with very few rare exceptions. As per usual, Urian will be sharing his charts, so please head to at Timmer Fidelity on Twitter to follow along. This podcast was recorded on July 17, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. I I mean, we're going to talk about the Fed decision next week, of course, but we're really, we're not talking about earnings in the future anymore. We're we're really in it. What are we going to see? What, What does it mean for what we see this week? Yeah. So the, the moment is is upon us, right? So let's pull up slide, uh, slide six. So the markets looks like they bottomed last October. The S&P is up 26% since then. Uh, the P-E ratio, the forward P-E ratio is up five, you know, 4.7 points from 15.3 at the low. The next two slides Yuri refers to are market breadth and earnings estimate progression, both tweeted on July 18th. To 20 as of last Friday. And if this is a new bull market, which it certainly appears to be, um, and um, and the market follows its regular path, which is for price to lead earnings, then the PE expansion that we're seeing um, is is justified. But uh, you know, with the Fed still raising rates, even though I think we're kind of in the eighth or ninth inning there, um, and the liquidity profile still somewhat restrictive, the markets have moved on from kind of, you know, pegging itself to the rate profile to just betting on an earnings recovery in 2024. And so that, of course, needs to come through. So the earnings need to come through. They surprise to the upside in the first quarter. If we go to, um, uh, where's my slide? Um, I don't see it. Um, Yeah, slide 10, sorry. in the first quarter, you know, the expectations were for earnings to fall at an 8% annual clip. Uh, so that's the Q1 number. 
and it ended up only falling by 3%. That's still a contraction, of course, but certainly less than expected. Right now, the second quarter, this is again for the S&P 500, expectations are for a 9% contraction, and that is expected to be the, the, the biggest contraction, right? If you look at those squiggly lines towards the left of the screen, you can see that all the numbers are higher than the current one, which is the black line. So we are in earnings season. It started late last week. 28 companies have, have reported, only, you know, only a handful, uh, and they have beaten estimates by 81% by an average of about 11 percentage points. So very healthy beat. We had a, a couple of the big banks reporting. Um, but now we're getting the onslaught of all the other companies. And so we're going to see if that little black line there is going to start squiggling up, up like the red line did in Q1. And if that's the case, then I think the market will start to kind of get more confidence that the light at the end of the tunnel is truly there um, and that the earnings recovery that is expected for 2024 is starting to take shape. But it needs to happen because it's not like the market is sitting at the lows while we're waiting for this, this to happen. The market has rallied 26%, basically in anticipation of this happening, and now it needs to happen. Okay, and okay, and if it doesn't? If it doesn't, the market's gonna get, it's gonna get disappointed and it's gonna have a valuation problem, right? Because if the earnings are not coming through yet, then a 20 multiple is, is too rich given where, where, where rates are. Uh, it's just not justified at that point. So, so bring in the rates discussion. I, I was looking through sort of commentary and, and some of the things that you write every week, which are amazing. Interest rates and inflation are not the lead story anymore. <clears throat> yes. Yeah, so if we go to slide 13, so we had a very uh, bullish CPI report last week. The next three slides Urian refers to are tips versus headline inflation tweeted on July 20th and financial conditions and the USD both tweeted on July 19th. The consumer price index here in the US is now uh, rising at only a 3% rate. Now, a lot of that is coming from declines in energy and, and, and commodities, but it was 9% exactly a year ago or 13 months ago, and it's down to three. And so that's obviously a huge win, especially compared to many other parts of the world. You know, in Europe, inflation is still running, in some cases, above 10%. But it doesn't mean that the Fed is, is done. <clears throat> and it's interesting that this, um, th this very bullish report last week did not at all change the expectations that the Fed is still going to raise rates um, in about a week or so, later in July, and that it actually may even raise rates again in the fall. And you, you might wonder, you know, we're at five and a quarter already up from zero a year ago. Why is the Fed still holding on to this kind of hawkish um, uh, track? And you can see that in the black line in this chart, right? So the orange line is the CPI. The black line is the core PCE, which is really the indicator yeah. that the Fed is watching most closely. And you can see that it is not making a lot of progress. Uh, it has peaked, but it's not making a lot of progress. And there's a new, a new form of... Uh, a new inflation gauge that we're all following and it's called super core. You know, it's just, the, oh, there's no, never an end to, uh, to how much we parse these, but you know, we know, and the Fed knows that the housing data are obviously sticky. They have a lag because, you know, people sign leases and those leases are not gonna be uh, renewed for another year. So the Fed acknowledges that that part of the inflation story is sticky, but that doesn't mean it's not 
going to get better. So Supercore is essentially uh, uh, PCE services X housing. So it splits out housing. And that series, which I don't show here, but I, I will I will the next time, is running at about four and a half percent. And again, showing absolutely no sign of abating. And so this is why the Fed, I think, is going to keep the hawkish rhetoric. And also, it doesn't want the markets to declare victory, because if the markets declare victory too soon, uh, then financial conditions will loosen. And actually, if we look at slide seven, you can see that financial conditions are already loosening because the way we measure financial conditions, uh, so that's in the top line there, um, is you know stock prices, short rates, long rates, credit spreads, and the dollar. And I'll show you in a moment uh, you know how much the dollar is weakening. But you can see here that the financial conditions index, so a falling line means good. It means that financial conditions are loosening, animal spirits are returning. Um, but we're back to levels not seen since the spring of last year when the Fed was just getting started with rate hikes. So if I were at the Fed, I would be a little perturbed at this because essentially this is the market's declaring victory and it is undoing in a way part of what the Fed is trying to do, which is to really rein in inflation expectations for the long term. And so I think this will actually keep the, the hawkish rhetoric um, in place a little bit longer. And, and let me just show slide eight, which is the next slide, just the, the degree to which the dollar has weakened here. That's a pretty, a pretty dramatic uh, decline there. Um, and so that certainly obviously is good for the, the non-US um, you know, allocation trade, uh, and it's good for commodities. You can see that last week that gold rallied, um, and so that, that's what, that was one of the more interesting developments uh, in the markets last week. So let's talk more about the U.S. dollar, but just quickly, when when those financial conditions, as you say, loosen, and the Fed takes a look at that, and they're trying to obviously tighten things ultimately to slow things down. Um, how much of that? How much do they watch the dollar? There's a whole bunch of things in financial conditions, but to what extent is the equity market actually sort of where they have an eagle eye? Yeah, I, I think my guess is, and I don't know this firsthand, but my guess is that the dollar is probably one of the lesser important indicators. I mean, the dollar is is important for for a lot of a lot of things, but as a measure of you know how. The Fed's policy gets transmitted into the general economy. I mean, that's really why they look at financial conditions, right? Because there's going to be seepage of financial indicators like real rates and stock prices um, that, that are going to make their way into the real economy. So that's why the Fed is looking at this, because the real economy, we get all this information with lag, and the Fed is setting policy with a forward eye, of course. Um, and so the Fed can't just wait for the lagging indicators to to start behaving because by then you know th their actions are, are already uh, baked into the cake. So they have to look at financial conditions. So I you know I think it's it's credit spreads of course credit spreads are a real time view of 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 the the, the country's balance sheet if you will or the corporate balance sheet. Um, and so um, so they they look at that very carefully. Um, but my sense is that the Fed. You know, they skipped in June, they'll go in July, they'll probably skip, you know, the next month and then maybe go again. Uh, but I think they're getting pretty close to the end, but then it's really a question of how long are they going to stay restrictive, right? So again, if we if we bring back, uh, if we uh, look at slowage of the inflation data earlier, 
uh, if we then subtract those inflation data from where interest rates are, we can see that based either or the CPI, that uh, bond yields are pretty restrictive here. So I, I think there is a good sense that the Fed is restrictive. And the question is, how long will they stay there? If a neutral policy is, let's say, three to four percent, and the Fed is at, let's say, five and a half by the end of the month, maybe even closer to six at the end of the year, then it's just a matter of how quickly or slowly will it revert to a neutral policy. And obviously, the question of whether we get a recession or not will, will weigh heavily into that question. So again, wanting to just go back to the dollar, just sort of speak to the positioning discussion there, but uh, a couple of great questions. So at what stage, Jurian, uh, based on a number of variables that you've discussed, do we call this a bull market? So that's a great question. And let's go to slide 14. And the next two slides coming up are bear market rallies and the S&P 500 Equal Weighted Index, both tweeted on July 17th. For me, so it's never really known in real time, right? By the time we know, it's it's too late to do anything about. Mm -hmm. And that is the reality of, of investing, right? We make real-time decisions with imperfect information. But we do know from history, and this is why uh, we study history, is there are markets, and you have retracements, you know, they are usually, or they're often bear market rallies, and obviously distinguishing between a bear market rally and a new bull market is very difficult in real time. But we do know, with, with a few very rare exceptions, that when a bear market rally retraces more than roughly half of the preceding decline, um, it's more often than not no longer a bear market rally, but it's a new bull market. And the S&P 500 has now retraced 73% of its decline. And I don't think there's ever been a bear market rally that, that's been, and you can see that in this chart here. So I think, you know, we have to, we have to respect the bullish case here. Obviously it could mean if there was ever a time that something could be different, it's this kind of post pandemic time because all the market cycle stuff is is so screwed up, but but still, you know, we have to respect history, and and um, and this market has now retraced enough that maybe we should start calling it. And uh, let me just bring up a couple more slides. Chart one, um, as we've been talking about in recent weeks, you know, I look at you know the S and P 500, of course, is a cap cap weighted index. And it is currently heavily distorted by what we call the magnificent seven, right? The big, the big tech companies, and so it makes the market look uh, stronger than it appears. So I've been looking at the S&P 500 equal weighted index, <clears throat> which you see right here, and I've shown here the horizontal lines are the Fibonacci retracements, which is kind of a guideline to how much a market can retrace. And you can see that, you know, uh, it, it hasn't quite retraced to 73% as the cap weighted index that we showed before. But, but you know, this to me, you know, this can be, can be one of two things, right? This long range that we've been in since a year ago uh, in June is either <clears throat> what we technically call a continuation pattern, which is, means it's a holding pattern that is just holding the trend until it resumes, in which case the market would start to fall again. 
or it is a reversal pattern or a base. And to me, because this pattern is now so long, right, the market has been not going up uh, in some way or another, either by going down or by going sideways for a year and a half. And that's a really long time for the market not to go up. And so to me, this looks like a base and, and we are testing the old recovery highs now on this index. And, um, and so, you know, I think it, it looks good, but again, it comes back to the recession story. Is the recession been canceled or has it just been delayed because parts of the economy have become more um, uh, or have become less sensitive to rate rises? And so if a recession happens, not today, but, in, but next year, what does that do to earnings? And are we then still you know, uh, declaring victory too soon on the earnings front? Is the, I mean, the economy, I guess, is absorbing the rate rises, as you say. I mean, we're watching that. But what does that mean sort of for the trajectory of what the Fed needs to do if the tool is even perhaps blunter than, than we once thought? So the, so the Fed is shrinking its balance sheet, of course, um, and it is um, obviously raising rates still. And if neutral is three to four and the Fed is going to be at five and a half, you know, that's not as restrictive as we've seen in the past, but it's definitely restrictive. So I, I think uh, the Fed will <clears throat> keep a couple of quarter point moves sort of in its arsenal. I don't think it would go every month, or uh, but, but I think you know the Fed will certainly keep its options open and will keep the rhetoric on the hawkish side. You know, it's not going to say anything like you know this could be the last one. Like it would never give, it would, it would never throw a bone to the market like that because especially considering that financial conditions have already eased so much. So I think the, the, the message is that the Fed will remain restrictive uh, certainly for longer than the market is expecting because the market is pricing in kind of a, a, an eventual pivot back to a neutral rate of about three and a half percent. But, you know, the Fed's going to look at those core and super core inflation data. It's going to obviously be very pleased by the CPI. But remember also <coughs> with the CPI that the base effects are now have now worked their way through. Right. So if you think about it, last year in June, the CPI went to nine percent. Um, and then every month from there, the data from 12 months ago falls out and the new data comes in. And so because you have that very rapid rise, you get those base effects that almost make it inevitable that the rate of change comes down, which is what it's done. But now we are, we are a year. So this was the June number that was released last week. We are now a 12 months following that peak. So by definition, those very favorable base effects are now completely rolled off. And so the next you know, six months are going to be a lot less linear than the last six or 12 months. So I, so I think for all of those reasons, the Fed is rightfully not saying, okay, you know, I, you know our, our work is done here. Yeah, no, fantastic. It's amazing. So a question coming in here about, about small caps, you know, their role in, in kind of leading when it looks like the market is, is heading into a new bull market. Are they, again, perhaps contingent as a group? on these earnings? Um, so, yes. Yeah, so one of the things we do see, and maybe we pull up slide 15, or uh, slide 16, sorry. And that next slide is bull market analogs tweeted by Yurian on July 17th. If this is a new bull market, 
uh, that started last October. Um, <clears throat> it would be unusual for several reasons. One is that we've had no participation from small caps or micro caps. So here you see the S&P in the black and the Russell 2000 in the orange. And this is assuming that the low was last October. And I've overlaid this against every bull market going back 120 Look years. So there's, <laughs> so there's a lot of squiggly lines there. But you can see that this has been one, right? in a training range for a year now. So, uh, so this has not been kind of that straight up type bull market. And it shouldn't have been because we've had too many different variables that have not been favorable. One was, of course, is, of course, the Fed, which is still raising rates. Um, and two is that earnings, even though they beat very lowered expectations in Q1, they're still contracting, right? So earnings are still contracting, but presumably will we'll bottom in the, in the third quarter and start to move up. So this has been a muted rally and it has not been led by the smaller parts of the market. And usually it's the other way around. So typically the market obviously goes up in a new bull market. Uh, I mean, that goes without saying, but small caps will not only go up in line with that, but will actually go up more. So the relative performance will will actually be going up as well. And clearly that's not happening, but you know, you see in the chart that there has been participation yeah. in the last you know few months or so. So small caps are moving. It's just that they they move down a lot. This is the Goldman Sachs retail favorites, which includes a lot of what we call non-profitable growth stocks. So that tends to be the smaller companies with no earnings uh, that are kind of growthier. And again, you can see that they have a lot of ground to cover, right? They fell 50% while the S&P wow. fell only 28%, only 28%. Um, but they are, that does look like a base, right? That looks like a good base. Um, and so we are seeing signs that the market you know, has stabilized and is starting to bottom out and is starting to anticipate that earnings recovery in 2024. And actually, if I can throw in one more chart and that's slide 11. And that slide is global earnings growth tweeted by Yurian on July 19th. And this is a really good story globally that you know the earnings story in the US, which is the, in the top, has been a decline in earnings growth from about plus 50%. Again, those were base effects following the reopening after the pandemic. And that number is about minus two. The expectation is for minus 3% growth in 2023, followed by a recovery in 2024. But that line around that minus 2%. But look at the rest of the world, IFA, <clears throat> EM, Europe, um, et cetera. Um, those are all hooking up now. So it looks to me, especially for EM, which of course fell much, much further than the US or, or developed markets because of all the stuff going on in China. Uh, but you're seeing a real recovery there. Now, part of that is going to be the dollar because the MSCI data, which is what I'm showing here, are all quoted in dollars. So there's gonna be, I don't know how much of this is truly organic versus just currency translation, but. But again, these are all kind of signs that a new cycle may be forming here that that's going to kind of leave the bears in, in the dust, at least at least for a bit. Fascinating. So fascinating to look at that. So, OK, so is there anything else to say on the dollar? I mean, that is sort of the main point, right? I just want to make sure that we cover that because it is a big one. 
it's it's a big one, and I think what the dollar is saying that uh, the policy divergence between the U.S. and the rest of the world, which clearly has been a factor during this tightening cycle, right? Because the U.S. <clears throat> plus Canada and England um, tightened at a much faster clip than than obviously Japan, which is not tightening at all, and Europe. Um, but now we have. U.S. inflation much better behaved, while Europe, European inflation seems to be much stickier. And of course, energy is, is you know, certainly plays a role in that. But I think the, the the currency markets are starting to kind of see see that that divergence between policies narrowing. Um, and I think you know the dollar will, will will you know is is benefiting from that you know by by going down because generally a lower dollar is a risk on type of sign. When you're looking, when you're going to be listening to or reading through, you know, the scripts from various earnings calls, listening to management, I mean, Fidelity is speaking to them face to face, but um, is actually the currency probably for the multinationals just about at the top of the heap of what you want to hear about? The, the currency, the dollar is definitely um, a factor, especially for the S&P 500, which of course is a very international or, or global index, about half of the revenues come from outside the U.S. And so a weakening dollar, clearly, I, I don't have the chart today, but there's clearly a relationship between revenue growth and therefore earnings growth um, and the dollar. And the fact, and you know, six months ago, the, that was a big tip, a big headwind, I should say, because the dollar was strengthening and now it's weakening. So that definitely helps the Earnings story, and, and I just showed the, the non-US earnings story, it definitely helps them as well. Um, and the other thing that's helping is that, and, and we're kind of scratching our heads on this, is that <clears throat> we all thought this was going to be a margin story in terms of the earnings decline. Mm -hmm. And margins did fall slightly since the, since the pandemic, uh, <clears throat> but they're holding pretty steady at around 12%, which is near, near a, a multi-decade high. So there has been less margin erosion than um, I think was generally expected. And certainly one thing that I'm going to be looking for in the earnings report is when CEOs talk about margins and whether they're holding. I mean, obviously it makes sense that part of the margin story was bad because of inflation, um, uh, but it, that, that's held in better than I think a lot of people expected. That, that is uh, one piece of that is, is price rises have just held, I mean, yeah, and and you know, and there's a story. <clears throat> there are stories out there about companies kind of, I don't want to say price gouging, but you know, preemptively raising prices to stay ahead of the inflation curve, which of course is yeah. exactly how inflation becomes embedded, right? I mean, that's exactly what the Fed is trying to avoid. So maybe there, maybe that's part of it, um, um, and and that's how an inflation cycle perpetuates itself, not only through the wage price spiral, which is what we saw during the 70s but also by companies just changing their behavior and consumers behaving, changing their behavior as well. And that's why I think the Fed um, is willing to sacrifice short-term growth over long-term price stability. What will the Fed be listening for in the earnings discussions? I mean, apart from obviously the raw data of what, of what they see, what, what again would the commentary that they might be looking for um, amount to? I, I think, um, so the Fed watches, you know, the, the the tips market, which has been very steady in looking at inflation at no more than 2.3, and maybe the tips market is dead wrong, but so far they seem to be, you know, relatively right. Um, I think for the Fed, 
basically they're they're eyeing that kind of core inflation super core inflation uh, which really all comes down to labor consumption wages right i mean the unemployment rates three cents here historic lows um people are employed wages are generally keeping up with inflation especially now inflation is coming down um <clears throat> and people are spending money and if that super core inflation is based on base then that's what the fed is solving for it needs to get that inflation rate down from four and a half to about you know, let's say two and a half, maybe three is good enough. Um, and the only way it's going to get there is if consumers spend less money in the economy. And the only way, at least in this country, to consume, uh, the only way we're likely to get that is if people, you know, I hate to say, but if people have, um, it, it, not that they start losing their job, but maybe they're less confident about their job. So I think for the Fed, looking at earnings, if they do look at earnings, it's going to be what is being said about, about layoffs. You know, we had some layoffs in the last six months or so, nine months in the tech sector. That seems to be behind us now. That, that sector was kind of a little bit bloated. Um, so I would say that it really comes down to jobs and wages um, and hiring plans. And hiring plans is usually what you hear about in these earnings reports. Okay, fascinating. Yuri and Timur, you've set us up for an awful lot of extremely important information coming through over the course of the next week. Thank you for joining us and, and have a good week. Great. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.